I've given enough bandwidth to yay already. Let's yeah, let's talk about economics. It's less depressing. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. What's what's next then? Hi everyone. Welcome back to Angry Upvote. This week we want to address not one, not two, but three major issues in American life today. We're going to introduce a sort of a new mini series of our own on this episode. Uh, but before we get into that, we need to cover something much more important. Zach, have you heard the latest news about Kanye West? Uh, yes, <laughs> and you're right. This is far more important than anything we could possibly discuss. The artist formerly known as Kanye West uh, may or may not be a Nazi, probably a Nazi, or at least a, like a at least yeah. Nazi curious. Um, he, He's certainly Nazi adjacent. Yeah, yeah he, uh, <laughs> he managed to make Alex Jones do a double take and deeply uncomfortable and and have him try to qualify and walk back his statements so that's i i don't know he's making alex jones seem like a, a reasonable normal person which is um yet, yet again evidence that we live in the harambe timeline and I, we've talked we were talking about this i don't even think that we live in the darkest or worst timeline i think it's just the dumbest timeline yeah it's like it's just so much stupid yeah. stuff it's not necessarily the worst <laughs> stuff that could happen but it's so dumb <laughs> it's so like vapid yeah yeah and you and i i want to condemn kanye more maybe i should maybe i shouldn't make excuses for it. maybe that's actually an infantilizing and denying him his personhood but like you know i, I feel like this has been going on for a while it's a spiral i mean uh, yeah he, he's definitely in a spiral uh, i guess for anyone in the audience who who has had the great fortune of not <laughs> having been informed about this yet and who hasn't been forced to be up to speed on all the nonsense that yay is up to now um he went on alex jones which is already like a really bad start uh and then i guess alex jones was like well it's not like you're like a nazi or something right you're not like hitler and then, for whatever reason, Kanye's response to that was like, well, actually, <laughs> um, yeah, man, he he made graduation, and I guess he's a Nazi now. Uh, and he had a meeting with Donald Trump earlier, and then coming out of it, Trump was like, man, Kanye is really disturbed. So he's just like, <laughs> he's way off the deep end. We're never getting him back. It, it's over, guys. It's a wrap on Ye. Uh, Harambe timeline strikes again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, he ran for president, um, which was fun, even though I don't think he turned in, like, I don't know if he met the <laughs> deadline. Like, would you say, like, this... His... Yeah, I, I think he fumbled the paperwork on it. Like, I don't think he ever... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so there, there's that, and then, like, you know, he uh, collapsed on stage a little while back, and, and then he, he married Kim Kardashian, which is... Everything I've learned about, Ki about the Kardashians, I've learned against my will, and I'm really resentful of it. Um, yeah, um, no, nobody's mental health improves after they enter the Kardashian orbit. So it's kind of like if you're already on the brink, like why would you expose yourself I, to that? I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe, maybe, maybe they've got it figured out, man. Like, well, obviously yeah. the Kardashians have. Maybe it they know something. Yeah, we maybe don't. they know something don't know. we don't. So, yeah, yeah, these are these are the important issues that we grapple with, fair listeners. This is yeah. this is kind of stuff that keeps so, us up at night. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and now that we've gotten this like really crucial stuff out of the way. Uh, let's get on to this like boring stuff that doesn't matter, uh, such as socioeconomic problems that affect literally every single American. <laughs> yeah, it, not just us. A lot of these are common around the world, actually. Um, I was thinking about like, you know, at least like we don't have to make it the episode title necessarily, but just kind of the theme. I grew up on a lot of 70s and 80s rock because 
I'm a millennial and I was raised by my parents. And what yes, this happens. And this happens. <laughs> and uh, just so you know, you can usually tell what kind of music somebody likes by figuring out when they were the most emotionally vulnerable to love songs and then working backwards from there. Um, so like, yeah, so I listened to a lot of Aerosmith growing up and one of their songs is There's Something Wrong With The World Today, right? And I feel like that's kind of a theme that resonates with everybody. And I felt that. Yeah, yeah and I felt that. <laughs> Again, uh, I think everybody feels squeezed. Um, right now, where we, we're recording at the tail end of 2022, um, the debate isn't whether a recession is going to happen. It's whether it's already happening or so, soon will happen and how bad will it be. Um, right. And that's kind of the, the proximate issue. But I think there's some bigger underlying things that have been going on for a long time, right? And I agree. Yeah, so... For this sort of limited series of episodes that we're kicking off now, we want to tackle three of the biggest issues that are affecting America. And like you said, they're affecting many other countries in the world to varying degrees, too. So we want to focus in on how the issue impacts the United States, because we are Americans in America with American kids. Um, But we're going to be looking to the outside world to kind of inform how we understand these problems. And the three big things that we're looking at are housing, education, and healthcare. Meaningless topics, things that, you know, have easy solutions. Yeah, who needs that stuff? Easy solutions. (laughs) Everybody's happy with how they exist already, and uh, there's not much to say. Yeah, as we all know, everyone in America is perfectly satisfied with how education, healthcare, and housing are playing out right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. that's not true. No, it's yeah, not, not true. true and I think that what those are, if you really think about them, those are what, in a sense, make up the American dream. Because the American dream is, you know, you rags to riches, right? That you don't have to be born at the top of the food chain to get to the top of the food chain. Or maybe more modestly, anybody can make out okay. Everybody can make it pretty well, you know? Um, and I think throughout... Yeah, you can at least... I think especially... I mean, I saw this a lot in Houston, which is a major immigration and actually even refugee hub, mm-hmm. right? One of the things that I really liked about Houston was it really felt like a place where people showed up in that city with, you know, the clothes on their back. And they really did, a lot of the time, have an opportunity to own a home, to put their kids through school, you know, to actually retire and know that the next generation was going to do well. So to me, that's that's a big part of the American dream is that you can come here and you have an opportunity to, you know, create a life for yourself. And the problem now is that it seems harder and harder to accomplish that. And that seems available to fewer and fewer people. Yeah, I still think that it is a point well taken. This is the land of opportunity. I mean, people still die trying to get here for a reason. Right. Um but that doesn't mean that it's as good as it has always been, or perhaps that the mechanisms for achieving that good life are as readily available or as potent as they always have been. Uh, I think the American dream is still real. Unfortunately, just like whenever I talk with people about, are we coming up on a recession? My answer to them is always, well, you know, it kind of doesn't matter. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it doesn't matter if we've had, you know, two whatever the textbook definition is, two uh, quarters of economic contraction or, you know, whatever other metric you want to use that an economist would get hot and bothered over. If people think that they're in a recession, they're going to act like they're in a recession. They're not going to spend the same way. They're not going to have the same attitudes. They're going to treat their their wage negotiations differently. If people think that they're in a recession, 
you're pretty much in a recession. And I feel the same way about the American dream. Maybe the American dream is still alive and well. Maybe it's, you know, not as have it doesn't have as much vitality as it used to. But if people think it's dead, well, it kind of already is in a sense. It's sustained by our common belief. I guess, am I advocating for the wish? Like, is that what I'm, you know, thinkonomics? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's the animal spirits, right? Like the economy is, is made up of what people think and how people act. So what a lot of people believe to be true is going to be felt in, I guess, the quote unquote real economy. You know, it's all kind of in people's minds at rock bottom. But yeah, I, I, I agree that basically if everybody feels like things are going badly, well, that's what really matters. And the terminological distinction of, well, is this a depression or a recession or is it just one bad quarter? Like that, that's just a way of describing the phenomenon. The real phenomenon is, are people doing good or are they not? Yeah. So yeah, this is the kind of stuff that we also stay up at night about, aside from Kanye's recent affiliation with National Socialism. Um, so too, do we worry about? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really losing sleep over like. Can I still listen to Graduation? Yes. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> it's like I, I mean. Anyway, I, that's enough. I've given enough bandwidth to Yay already. Let's <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about economics. It's less depressing. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. What's What's next then? <laughs> okay. So uh, anyway, like this is something where I think everybody in America, especially younger generations like the the millennials, elder millennials such as ourselves and the Zoomers really feel this because such a big part of our life has been recession, economic crisis, the housing bubble. And then now here we are with the housing shortage. You know, we've seen skyrocketing uh, tuition. We've seen skyrocketing health care costs. I think everybody our generation has seen the horror stories of like, uh, I don't know, I had an ambulance ride and I got invoiced for $10,000, like all this kinds of nonsense. So we're in a situation where basically everybody feels that these things are kind of broken, um, that they're obscenely expensive, that there's just not enough to go around. But somehow there's not really much of a national discussion or not a mainstream one where lots of different people from different walks of life are all participating in the same discussion about what should be done about these problems. So in order to sort of frame this, we're actually going to look at a country that you and I both have interesting connections to, but many Americans don't necessarily know much about. We're going to look to China to kind of put this in perspective for us. Uh, Yeah, no, uh, I think we both on some level, at least count as amateur China wonk, China watchers, uh, for various reasons. We've we've both had the opportunity to engage with the culture uh, quite a lot, uh, and that's actually why how um, you know we got to know each other as we were we were kind of learning Chinese at the time. Um, yeah, you and I were learning Mandarin Chinese <laughs> at the same time in the military, and uh, and that forced us into a lot of proximity with each other for a very long time. <laughs> so you know, after that, it's like either you, you know you're you're like ride or die, or you just hate each other after that kind of experience. Oh yeah. So anyway, we have a podcast eight years. Later. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and no. we can tell similar <laughs> stories about learning Chinese um, from well, actually Chinese nationals. I think um, all of them uh, were yeah. like straight up. Um, citizens of either uh well there's china and there's china right and we had both flavors yeah Yeah, so we we both had uh linguistic 
experience of it. We both learned Mandarin. I still use it day to day in my life now. We had uh, travel and work experiences in uh, China or the other China. <laughs> um, and we know quite a few people born and raised, educated in China. So we're, you know, reasonably plugged in as far as it goes. So it sort of made sense for us to look and be like, well, hmm, are they thinking about these issues in China? Uh, and it turns out, uh, yes, they have exactly the same concerns about the cost of healthcare, the cost of housing, and the cost of education there as we do in the U.S. Um, but because it's China, they have like a, a pithy, simple name that encompasses the concept and that makes it easier to talk about and easier to reason around. So they call these three things, healthcare, housing, education, the three mountains. They're the three mountains that anybody must climb if they want to have like a respectable middle-class life in China. And that's true of the U.S. That's true of any other, you know, reasonably economic developed country. Everybody needs to have access to these things if they want to feel like they've made it in life. Yeah. And first of all, full credit to Taylor for knowing, but I didn't know about this uh, particular conception and that there was a popular, we were just talking about it and he was like, oh yeah, there's a name for that. Yeah. They just, they just call it the three mountains in China. And I'm like, what? So, you know, full glory to Taylor for being <laughs> super plugged into that. Um, yeah. I will say uh, the Chinese have a cool word for that is something that actually comes up kind of a lot. <laughs> Like Chinese internet culture uh, does not fail. If you if it's out there, they've probably come up with a catchy term for it, and they're probably exhaustively discussing it. So you know, one of the perks of having a, a huge online, I guess, monoculture. Everybody's talking about all the same issues there, right? Which is awesome, and yeah, and and, and they don't pull punches. Like when, especially when they're allowed, when they when it's subjects that they, you know, especially mainland, they just feel like they can talk about. They are. They go all at it. So it's, it, yeah, no, it's wonderful. Um, yeah. And I think that it's just a really apt analogy is that there's these three mountains that people and societies both have to climb. And if you don't, well, that's, that's too bad, you know, because if you think about it, like what provides the opportunity in life? Education. That's what gets, opens the doors. That's what gives you a dignified place in this world. That's what's going to actually help you make enough scratch to live the kind of life that you want to live. Exactly. You know, what about, but how, but where are you going to be when you do that? Well, hopefully you're going to be in a place that you actually don't hate. You know, one of the things that I think we're going to talk about over and over again over the, well, as long as this podcast exists, is just that, you know, the we are an urban species now and more so every day. And we have to find a way to live in cities and around them and within proximity to them that we don't hate being there. You know, that doesn't make us miserable or feel like a dystopian nightmare. Um, housing. How long can it, but here's the other thing. How long can I keep those things? How long does it have? What's the greatest wealth any person could have? Well, you know, especially somebody who's usually older tells you your health. So I think it's intuitively makes a lot of sense. So as people are living longer and longer, there's a larger part of your life where people are going to need health care and assistance. They're going to need a lot more care in general to continue living a good life, you know, into their 80s and their 90s. So sort of as your uh, society gets into middle income or higher income, suddenly everybody wants to have access to these things. Everybody feels that they need these to have a good life. And you need to, as a country, as a society, be able to provide enough education, enough housing, enough health care, that it isn't prohibitively expensive and you're not leaving a bunch of people on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And it seems that in China, they're really acutely aware of this problem 
because the economic transformation there has been so rapid. So within living memory, it was still, you know, basically a Maoist planned economy. And they, they called it the iron rice bowl from, you know, childhood to death. You, you didn't get much, but you got it from the state. You got your rations, you got your very basic health care, you got housing. And, you know, since the 80s is really when that changed. So they sort of have an, a very clear sense of like, oh, housing used to be something that you were literally just assigned. And now it's something that like the first half of your life almost is dedicated to scraping together enough for a down payment, you know, on an apartment, wherever you can get it close to an acceptable job. So I think in the U.S., these issues kind of crept up on us and built up over decades and decades. And, you know, China has the benefit or the liability of having been through this really, really radical economic change not all that long ago. And I think that sometimes gives them a little more clarity on these issues. Yeah, well, in just the contrast, right? Um, you know, your housing was provided for, your job, you were guaranteed a job no matter what. You had to go and ask your, um, like basically the manager of your work gang area if you were allowed to get married or not like so yeah. i mean there's there's <laughs> a lot of things that they don't miss i i don't think that a lot of them miss all the aspects of that but just the security now what well, they they like other post-communist states have older people who are really nostalgic and i don't know maybe it's a freud thing we all want to feel young again we we like things that make us feel young and like oh gosh one day i'm gonna die no i'm not i'm gonna listen to a i'm gonna buy the new acdc album and i'm gonna live forever you know like that kind of thing um but i think that they and they and i think they gloss over sometimes just how crushingly poor they were maybe not actually i think they actually they they are acutely aware of how poor they once were but they but they focus on how these things used to be easy and now they aren't um, and so I don't think they necessarily long for uh, Maoist era stuff and internal passports and, you know, like all the, and like I said, having to, you know, crawl on your hands and knees to your, basically your manager to say, hey, can I marry the, the person in the, the, the dormitory complex or the factory across town kind of thing that I ran into by happen chance, you know? Yeah, um, and then your boss is like, you know, give me two cartons of cigarettes and I'll think about it. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 like prison prison economy, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, and so maybe it did kind of creep up on us because I think if we're honest with ourselves, though, America was never what I just described. But if you think, I don't know, my just little internal thing, my grandfather was born a goat herder. Um, he was literally a 12 year old going through the wilderness with a horse and a rifle and a dog herding goats from one place to the other, um, you know, in like the 30s, because, you know, that's that's how it worked. He was not rich by any means. And I think I'm not the only one who's like this. There's a lot of people who have, um, you know, there are, there are, there's old money in America, certainly. But I think if people look back to what their, the lives their grandparents and especially their great grandparents lived, you realize that like a lot of people used to be poor. They used to be really poor. And part of it is just because it was a poorer world. I mean, in some ways a pauper has a better life than a millionaire from a hundred years ago, if only because like, antibiotics and stuff um yeah 
but yeah, at the it's, same it's really hard to go back before antibiotics or indoor plumbing yeah you know people think about time travel and it's so fun and romantic but then you get malaria and you're like i want to go back yeah yeah you better bring a roll of toilet paper or three with you right you know like you yeah. know at least some you know ranger wipes or something so so i think that I think we forget maybe, and I do think that the, the the transition was much more gradual in our society, but I think that truly the American middle class, as we know and understand it, the, what we kind of think of as a normal American middle class was built in the post-war era. And so, you know, it doesn't quite have a hundred years underneath it yet, but it's been around a while longer. And it's interesting to see how the expectations of our grandparents and our parents have changed so much over time. Uh, I believe I've read this more than once. Millennials, for instance, are projected to be the first generation in American history to be estimated, or at least, you know, are the Ouija board of of, of probability <laughs> and statistics and stuff. We don't know, but uh, to die younger and poorer than the generation preceding them. Uh, I, yeah, I've also seen that cited in many, many places. And, and, and a big part of it is, I guess, because we had so many interruptions to our early working life because of the recessions mm -hmm. uh, and were so burdened by educational debt, medical debt, and the cost of securing housing that it, it's just a weight around our necks that it affects everybody when they're young and when you're not making all that much yet. And then it ends up dragging down our our later in life when people usually have higher incomes. You know, we, we just get a late start on everything. <laughs> Um, and let's pour one out for the, the poor Zoomers. I was about to say, heaven <laughs> knows what's going on with the Zoomers or, or generation. You know what the generation after the Zoomers is, is called right now? I don't They're generation know. alpha. The, 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 number, the, the letters have to start over again. They're, they're generation oh, alpha. Cool. They're the alphas. You know, I guess it had to happen someday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to happen to those guys? Yeah, yeah, and they'll get a better <laughs> name kids. later, and hopefully they'll lord over betas as internet culture demands. But um... oh wait, no, that's our kids, right? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, our, our kids, kids are, are alphas. alphas. Oh wow, yeah. okay, our kids well, are alphas. Yeah, gonna... yeah, yeah. Poor man, we we got to raise some warriors, dude. Who knows what's coming? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm going to raise them to bully the betas. That's how it works, you know. <laughs> They're going to be the top of the trash heap. <laughs> it may be a trash heap, but I'm on the top of it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, so I think that the issue is we know that things used to work, or at least it used to work for more people than it does now. And granted, it has to be said again, we're so much richer than, say, our grandparents were, even in their heydays. I mean, gosh, we walk around, most people walk around with um, computers in their hands that they happen to make phone calls on. You know, uh, the, as far as like consumer products and access to knowledge and expectation of uh, treatment for disease and such, they're all way better. But these other aspects, if you look at um, how, a, how a budget looked, say, 100 years ago compared to the way it is now, uh, 100 years ago, like 20s and 30s, uh, the average American's monthly budget, like only like something like 10% or less would go to housing. Um, now, grant right. right. Now, granted, a huge portion of that would go to food. We're talking 30, 40, 50% would go to food because food was so expensive. Uh, but now when you look at the average American budget, people, you know, what is it? The uh, federal housing authorities like, yeah, you, you should never pay more than 30% of your take home income on housing. And I don't know about you, but I laugh at that. And I think a lot of other people do like, wait, what? <laughs> You're, what do you mean? Uh, you know, for me, it's 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 higher than that. And I think I'm not the only one. Um, 
so it's it's interesting to see how do we confront the problems of our day you know for our great grandparents it was literally food we could argue that food is still a thing now but it's not one of our mountains and that that's a story for another time um, yeah now, now it's more a question of like I, very few people in the u.s are worried about having enough food but a lot of it is about like the nutritional quality of food or the health impacts of living in food deserts and all this kind of thing. So now we've moved on from a situation of like, you know, if there's a famine in, you know, what in the Midwest or something, well then everybody in the country is skipping meals, <laughs> you know, to now it's a point of like, we're trying to ensure that everybody has equal access to like healthy food, you know? Yeah. So in, in that case, the goalpost has moved a bit and that's why it's not one of the mountains. But now things like, uh, of course, housing is always important because uh, human beings die if they don't have a place to live. And education has a larger impact on earnings now than it ever has in the past. So whether or not you get that good education has never in the past had as big of an impact on shaping the course of your life afterwards as it does right now. And then at the same time, it's getting so much harder for people to access that education. And then, of course, with healthcare. You know, like, the, of course, there's there's so much more out there that you can get that just technologically didn't exist in the past. But then it's like that ten thousand dollar ambulance ride. Right. And that's a uniquely American problem that is we don't really see that elsewhere in the world. So that that's the thing is like you would think that as society has gotten so much richer in the last 50, 60, 70 years, like dramatically more productive, dramatically more stuff to go around why is it that a normal person struggles to get approved for a mortgage or why is it that a normal person you know is they're almost afraid to go to the doctor because who knows you don't know what you're going to get slapped with you know mm -hmm. yeah you don't know the cost of anything until it's already done and it could be <laughs> it could be your savings you know you could be completely wiped out you could go bankrupt because of it it's one of the major causes of bankruptcy in this country now, which is really disturbing. Yeah, it's depressing. And it's all just so self-defeating. Uh, you know, like you're saying, people don't go to the doctor because they're afraid of what the bill will be. Whereas you actually probably want them to go to the doctor, not only because you're humane and, you know, you don't want to see people suffer, but also because so many times if they just would go to the doctor, they'd get preventative care. And then it wouldn't be a problem and you wouldn't have to get in that ambulance because you would have caught it earlier or been treating it or something like that. Same thing with the housing issue. Uh, not only do people need housing, because if any of you are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's a pyramid. And the idea is you can't expect people to like become philosopher kings if they're starving because they've got bigger things on their plate so it goes like you know from most <laughs> diogenes has entered the chat <laughs> yeah 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 get out diogenes of is like screw you <laughs> i'm starving i live in a barrel and i'm a philosopher yeah anyway. well that, that was he was he was plato wasn't a fan <laughs> he was like you know three parallel dimensions ahead of us giga chad he's the one that um yeah. didn't, isn't he the one that just like insulted alexander the great where alexander walks up to him and is like bro huge fan love you I, I just I just want to know let you know that you're great and he's just like whatever you want you can have it and he's like uh, yeah just kick rocks get out of my yeah, way yeah he's like, like can you like I'm move doing you're, you're blocking my <laughs> you're blocking my shade and Alexander the Great's like yeah. wow what a legend what a Chad you know and like yeah. you know like, okay <laughs> since we're on this I've got to share like the great Diogenes anecdote because okay he was kicking around in Athens at the same time as Alexander the Great 
and I guess also uh, some overlap with Plato, although Plato was older then. And supposedly there was a thing where Plato is like going through trying to create like a definition of a human being. Which was a normal thing for Greeks at the time. They loved trying to to pair like have these thought experiments where they pair something down to its most basic essence like yeah and, you know it's like a logical exercise yeah uh and then they go okay so we think we've settled on it you know a human being is a featherless biped that rules out all the other creatures that we know of like that just leaves people there and then diogenes overhears this and is like i'm going to ruin everything these losers are doing he grabs a plucked chicken from somewhere and runs in waving it around and goes behold a man and then everyone's like who let this dirty homeless guy in here <laughs> yeah uh, he, so that's diogenes yeah yeah he, he lived in a barrel he, uh, oh and actually he's the founder of cynic philosophy and cynic in greek meant dog-like because he lived like a dog in like a trash heap no that i did yeah. not know that's awesome <laughs> see this is why y'all got to learn about history and philosophy because it's full of like like based weird people like diogenes anyway what were we talking about uh, housing yeah yeah housing yeah so <laughs> so what's so what's one of the i i mean we can get into deba- debates over like natalism and like you know whatever but like whether you are a secular humanist or you are a ardent believer of some kind you probably believe that people continuing to exist is a good thing um or at least not like, something that we we have a vested interest in um, and with the housing thing, not only is it a basic necessity of life, like, you know, clothing or Wi-Fi, but if you ever want to have a family, if you ever want to procreate and uh, Darwin, at least do your Darwinistic duty and pass on your genes, uh, y- y- you kind of have a hard time doing that if you don't feel like you have a place you can nest in. So there's a, there's a big old worker shortage right now. Funny how that works. It's happening across the world. And a lot of the places that have worker shortages, you know what else they have in common? They have really bad housing. <laughs> you know, it's hard for young people to go out and start forming their families. Um, so yeah, and I think it, anybody who spent much time in a big American city in, say, the last decade, I think, has probably noticed the like visible and dramatic increase in people living on the streets. And... Guys, that's bad. That's not a good outcome. <laughs> that is, that's like a sign of like cities beginning a death spiral, right? Because once somebody becomes homeless, it's so difficult for them to get out of that situation. Actually, another very good army friend of mine was briefly homeless before he enlisted. And yeah, guy had a rough time. Like it's difficult to get out of that situation if you ever fall into it. And, you know, some people are maybe maybe they're a medical emergency away from losing their home or their apartment you know they lose their job they can't make rent they get evicted they're on the streets and then once you get out there it's very tough to get back off of it so i think we as a country need to think like do we want people getting thrown into that trap where it's so difficult to claw your way back out the odds are so against you would it not be much better to just try and you know help people avoid falling into those desperate situations in the first place this is something we're really going to dive into in the housing one. I, I have it in for NIMBYs, as you know. Uh, really? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a shock to you, right? I, I don't make my disdain for NIMBYs. <laughs> uh, 
I, very clear and obvious, like every discussion we have. Yeah, Taylor, I don't have a problem with affordable housing. I just have a problem with this project in particular. You see, they, the no. the, par- the parking lot is just gonna you Why know, and like it's, this? It's, it's too close to the elementary <laughs> school if you think about it, and you know, and then and then it never gets built ever for any yeah, reason. I, I, I love so I love uh, affordable housing as long as it's it's very far away from me <laughs> and I don't have to interact with anybody who lives in it and it has zero possibility of affecting my own property values because my home is not just a place I live, it's also an investment that I expect to get rich off of. Yeah, Americans. Says the worst person in America. Uh, okay, uh, yay uh, is worse because he's a Nazi, but uh, still uh, don't be like that guys. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not a good uh, way to um, be. Americans store their wealth in their homes and they have for a at least a couple of generations now. So that's right. Well, and that, that raises the question and you know, this one, cause I, I've mentioned this with you in, in our own discussions, but there's a conflict between making home ownership, a vessel for wealth creation and trying to make it accessible at the same time, because if housing is a great investment, then people are going to buy houses up as investments hold on to them 10 20 30 40 years because they know it's going to make they know they're going to get a great return on it and i think that's exactly what we're seeing is that housing is such a great investment that people who want to live in houses are getting priced out by people who have a lot of resources and they they're like this is a great place to park my money you know inflation's 10 percent housing you know housing prices are going up 20 percent i know where i'm putting my money yeah you know it's i feel like that's just like a let's put two and two together people that's part of the problem yeah i know that the best financial choice i ever made was to assume an unfathomable unfathomable amount of debt on land and uh, the market has rewarded me you know like it turns out that you you Getting debt gets you money. Uh, balance balance sheet go burr. You know yeah, it's, that's it's really backwards, right? It's like the only reason that my recent move to Washington State, which is you know expensive, uh, was even possible, was because I got such a great return on the much less expensive home that I bought in Houston a few years back, and it's like that worked out for me personally. Sure, woohoo! You know I'm happy. Um, but <laughs> I'm not sure this is a, a great thing socially. No, no, it's not. And I just want you to know that as a strong, independent, conservative man who pulled himself up by his bootstraps, uh, the only way I could afford to have a home is because I'm eligible for VA loans. Um, Absolutely. Same here. That's the only way I could possibly have a loan. So as and like I said, as a man who's like, you know, don't tread on me, gummy, get out, re, uh, my entire family's prosperity is based off of federally subsidized loans. So... And you know what? You this, is, this is a great thing to highlight because you and I are both millennials who kind of beat the curve, yeah, so to speak. Like we, you know, we are not super burdened with educational debt or anything. We were able to buy homes, you know, at a fairly young age. We've started families. We've gotten higher education. And a huge piece of how we did that was because we're military veterans, because we've, you know, we've enjoyed uh, the largesse of the federal government and the VA. And I I don't know as much about your family background, but, you know, I have like several generations of military backgrounds. So generations before me also benefited from VA home loans or from the GI Bill or, or other similar benefits, right? So, you know, we were talking about generations ago, what our parents or grandparents or great grandparents were doing. My great grandparents were pretty much all farmers, you know. Yeah. And now I've got a, a work from home, white collar job, and a master's degree, right? Like, 
you know, military benefits are a massive part of how that happened in a few generations. Now, and so I think, again, I think my, my ironic thing is like, there's so many people who are like me, by the way, you know, they vote red and whatever, but they actually are completely dependent on the federal government or owe a lot of their prosperity to it in some way. But, and I guess it need be said, um, when it comes to things like, so you, you know, when you were in the army, you had some pretty, pretty low cost health care. Um, you also, oh yes, you, absolutely. You had a, um, a stipend. I, I paid. You said you had a stipend I, for housing. You know, you yeah, had. I, I need to throw this out here just because uh, I need to. I was shocked when I got out of the military and had my first like adult experience with uh, health insurance. And that's probably a new sentence that's never been said before. Yeah. Um. But when I was in the military, uh, the birth of my son cost me like twenty dollars out of pocket. Whoa! Literally, I... literally, and and that was only because uh, we had him delivered off post, so we got charged like a twenty dollar fee. That was like the only thing that wasn't completely covered by Tricare. Dude, we would spend more at that at Arby's if we went there right now. Yeah, yeah, I spent more. Uh, it was in Honolulu, right? So I I spent more on that, like buying lunch for us after. <laughs> we spent on you know the like a uh, this whole hospital stay and everything. Yeah, so, well, like like Americans, be mad, like <laughs> be angry. This is but, not an okay but, state of affairs but, for you. But not guys. at us. We're protected as veterans. Yeah, yeah. we we got it nice, but <laughs> well, and here's but here's another aspect of that, and I and I hear you, but you got to realize, did the government give you your child for $20 or whatever because the government is a nice nice entity and it has altruistic intentions uh no they did it because it's a volunteer only force and they need to offer things that people want in order to entice volunteers and because healthcare and education and housing are in such bad shape in america a really great way to offer people what they want and get volunteers is to make healthcare, housing, and education cheaper for them. Yeah, you get it. So that's that's exactly like, you know, that's why it's such a great gig is because these things are so difficult for normal Americans. And the military is like, hey, we can make all that easy for you. <laughs> we can make all these problems go away. Well, and, and that, you just have to accept all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, you just have, well, and that's the point is that the government, it's because you're willing to die basically um it's what happens is the government is maintaining you the same way you maintained a right where you maintain a rifle you know you want it to go boom when yeah, you pull the or, trigger or like a racehorse yeah you know? so <laughs> so i think now and i think that's one thing that people could rightfully say they say well of course you get all these nice things because you literally said i will be a sacrifice on the altar of the republic's prosperity you know should the government provide this kind of thing to everybody all the time you know should just joe blow six-pack get it just because cuz you know um that these kinds of benefits are afforded to those who make a specific set of choices now you and i we both i enlisted in 2013 right when did you enlist was were you in 14 or were you in 13 too um so i did my paperwork in late 2013 and then i shipped i think january 2014 yeah so I, we went in at like the exact same time yeah i was like august or september of 13 or whatever well we actually <laughs> Funny story, we were in the same basic training co- um, battery, not company, battery for the Army. So, like, it has to be artillery yeah, that's talk. Right. Yeah, we, yeah, you were, like, the group that went through like, immediately before me. Yeah, I was either, like, one or two ones ahead of you. So we had really similar experiences. We knew most of the same 
uh, cadre, actually. Uh, artillery. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Artillery. <laughs> boom. Fort Sill. Uh, try it out sometime, guys, or or don't. Or don't. Or, or, or don't. don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't go to Oklahoma. I, it's not just because I lived in Texas that I'm saying that. Like. <laughs> Y'all aren't missing out. <laughs> but the point is, it worked out for us, right? Um, but the po- but uh, the other point of it is that you know we literally made the Starship Troopers choice, right? We said, ah, oh, service guarantees citizenship, service guarantees all these benefits and stuff, and we signed on the dotted line, and we we both got in and then out of the army without being really broken or without having you know too much encumbering us, basically, um, and we benefited from it. But there was an element of choice in there, so. I think an important thing to decide is, as a society, yes, we as a people, as Americans, we need to decide how we climb the three mountains. I think there is a lot of um, reasonable discussion to be had about how much of that is the federal government and how much of, or rather, how much of that is directly the largesse, like you were saying, how much of that is the munificence of Uncle Sam, or how much do, should we just do to try to shape our country and our economy in a way that just provides better outcomes you know because you and i we literally just got it from the taxpayers thank you pay your taxes please yes you know? yeah i mean people say like thank you for your service and i'm like uh, thank you for tricare yeah you thank know? you for paying thank taxes. you for putting me through grad school like you know yeah so <laughs> I, I think part of it is that neither of us really had to make any particularly onerous sacrifices when we were in the military mm-hmm. Um, I mean, other people who really went through more extreme things are probably going to feel differently about it than we did. But I mean, for me personally, it, you know, it was it was a job and it was a tough job, but I certainly got a lot out of it. Yeah, and I was and I w- was a reservist the entire time, so I, I looked my life looked differently than yours. Um, we had our time together and as coastal elites in California, but after that, our our military careers diverged greatly. Um, this is true. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I did my, you know, part-time hero, you know, <laughs> call me when you need me kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, so I, I suffered the incredible indignity of paying, I think it was like 72 bucks for my first child. Um, you know, oh, wow. That's yeah, yeah, devastating. Yeah. Devastating. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. We, um, I, what yeah. the going rate for like the monthly premium for a family like a whole family, however many members in the reserves or the guard is like 200 something bucks a month mm-hmm. and they cover almost everything. Like again, Americans be angry. Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah the, and the, yeah, the difference is that, yeah, if you're a single person, you pick get something. And then if you have any dependents and by dependents, like anybody in your household. So if you're married, if you have any children, you could have, you could be married and have 30 children or just be married and have no children. And you pay the same amount of money, by the way. And yeah, you pay 200 something bucks and uh, yeah, you're good. You're covered. Anybody that accepts the insurance, you're, you're good. And then you, you pay a little extra every month if you want dental for everybody. Like that's it. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a good gig while you're doing it. Uh, and that's one of the reasons, that's actually one of the reasons why if you're a reservist, by the way, you should do 20 years is because you get that TRICARE back when you hit retirement age, by the way. Uh, so you don't get it your whole life the way you might as if, you, if you're for real real boy like you were. But as a reservist, if you do your 20 years in the Legion, you get um, federally subsidized health care right at the end of life when it's going to be the most expensive anyway. So it's actually still not a bad deal, by the way. Yeah, and, and actually on that note, um, my grandfather uh, retired from the Army National Guard 
uh, he passed a few years ago. Um, but my grandmother, his widow, has gotten the like the free Tricare healthcare through, you know, being married to a retired National Guard officer, and she's had repeated battles with cancer. And it's really come down to a thing of like because she was on Tricare, she's been able to get whatever treatment was necessary and has been able to beat the cancer. And if she was just relying on private insurance and her social security or whatever, it just wouldn't have been possible. You know, at a certain point, it would have just been like, it's costing too much to keep myself alive. So that's a real world example right there. Uh, Because of TRICARE, like she was able to get the treatment that she needed. And that would have been like bankruptcy expense for any just ordinary American who didn't have that. So... Yeah, yeah. And it's real. It makes a difference, guys. It makes a huge difference, but at the same time, and and I I can't wait to hear because I know you've dug into the healthcare thing more than I have for more yes, years than yeah. I have. But by definition, so many of the um, healthcare systems that we're going to compare ourselves to here in a little while, they by definition have to ration healthcare to an extent, and there is a a break a break even point of where you're like, eh, you know, at what yeah, point? So that's... so I I don't want to make it sound like. You know, if we just, you know, Bernie'd out and went full affordable care, Obamacare, and just like, just, okay, we're Portugal now, or oh, we're Taiwan now. Like, it would make all of our problems go away, because it, it, it probably wouldn't. And the other side to that, and gosh, we'll go into this more, is, gosh, when you're in the full-time military and stuff, and you want to go see a doctor, I mean... They don't make it easy. They don't make they it really easy. It's, it is, it is, you will get health care. You are guaranteed health care, but... How you get the healthcare, which doctor you get, how painful it is to go to see a specialist. There are real, there's some friction in that system. It is not seamless, that's for sure. So I would still take it over a lot of the alternatives, that's for sure. But it is not a post, uh, a post tribulation, yeah, post scarcity system. <laughs> yeah, right? post... like there's still there's still challenges, there's still issues. You still can't necessarily get what you want when you want it. Sometimes they just tell you to, you know, drink water and take Motrin and get back out there, champ. Yeah, no joke. When yeah. I, yeah, when I lived in Portugal, we just always joked that, like, you know, you go to the doc, you, you go to the doctor, they give you crutches and painkillers, and maybe you'll get a surgery in five years. You know, like that's just kind of how it was. And they, I found a lot of parallels between those two systems of very socialized healthcare. Um, yeah. So it's just it do be like that. So, anyways, this is the kind of thing that we're looking forward to, right? These are the kinds of discussions right. we're gonna dig in. Yeah, and I think bringing it back around a bit to what we discussed last week on our previous episode where we were kind of talking through, you know, I guess where we fit on the American political spectrum. Uh, I'm, you know, more towards the left, so I'm obviously going to be more like, well, let's look at what they do in Germany or the UK or whatever. Um, And I'm pretty comfortable with having a, you know, a nationalized or sort of public spending driven system. You having more of like a right, like libertarian sort of orientation, I think that you may have some different ideas that you bring to the table. And that's part of the discussion that we can have. But I think that, you know, you and I both have seen that these problems are are just completely out of control. They're so, so, so bad in the United States that something needs to be done at a systemic level 
to manage these costs and to make these things more available. So that's what we want to get into in the upcoming episodes is each of these we're going to tackle one of the three issues and we want to do a deep dive and we want to really talk about like what is the nature of this problem in this country and what are our thoughts on things that can be done to resolve it and make it better. Um, because we can't make Kanye West less crazy. Uh, yeah, pray for <laughs> but, Kanye. But maybe, do, do maybe we can. Yeah. Oh man, uh, just <sighs> Harambe timeline. Yeah. Um, but hopefully we can at least like mitigate some of these problems. You know, we have kids. <laughs> We've got skin in the game. Like we we don't want them to have to struggle up through the same way that we see all the people around us doing it. Yeah, and I think. I think that's the key to it, and that's might be. A, yeah, I, I get it. I'm the right. I'm the right half of this of this of our of our duo of our of our com- tragic comedy duo that we've got going here. Um, but I think what might separate me from some of my other right leaning brethren is that I'm of the opinion that these three mountains are not getting smaller; they're getting bigger, like a tectonic plate being pushed out into the sky, and that whatever it is we're doing right now it's just not working and within 10 years it will ha- it will have changed one way or another it will have changed because it has yeah, to either it's like we can either be proactive and be thinking how do we want this to change or we can just wait for the rope to snap and then whatever happens happens yeah it, you know that's really how extreme these issues have gotten like they cannot keep going on the same trajectory for even another 10 years like you said yeah it's something will change yeah it, so it has to it just has to you know like we we talked about how um both uh medicare and social security some a couple of the buckets of money that fund both of them they're set to run out within the next 10 years in one of the cases within the next five years um with uh with health with housing it, there is a formula that i've seen before where for every you know percentage uh for every port of a unit of of average rent price that a city's rent goes up, you can expect a pr- almost a exactly proportional amount of more homeless people to appear on the street just because it just do be like that, you know? It's Right, um, and, and, and I think that that's really important to highlight too because I think when you see that strong of a correlation, a lot of people maybe get into a mindset of they just want to blame homeless people and kind of assume that, oh, they must be addicts or they must have done something, you know, they must have screwed something up to get in that situation. And then when you see, you know, someone went through a lot of data and they found that there's a very, very strong correlation between rising housing prices and increasing homelessness, that right there shows you that these people are being squeezed out. You know, it it makes it where you can't just make it like an individual thing of, oh, well, they must have screwed it up. You know, this is a very clear relationship here. Yeah. Or or, and, and, you know, there's a portion of them that did screw it up. But you know, okay, well, what now? You know, like, like what, yeah, what kind like, of, well, yeah. yeah, you know, what kind of society do you want to have? You know, or you know, I, I get, or with education, you know, like, uh, yeah, I get it. Like snowflakes get things. So, uh, but like the price of education keeps going up, and it's creating um, a, a bifurcation. You know, there are those with college degrees and those that don't, and and everybody knows that getting into college is what's going to make you money. You can literally get a basket weaving degree and you'll still be better off than somebody with just a high school diploma. Uh, I, unless you got spent $200,000 to get your basket weaving degree, you're going to be better off over time. It's just that strong of a correlation. And so yes. that so people will pay rightfully anything to get into it because it's their best chance at a good life. And then you have colleges that are bragging about how few people they admit and how exclusive they are. And you're like, that's... Uh, 
that's that's that makes me that makes me sad inside you know so so yeah you know and yeah. so that made some something just clicked for me actually because sort of the fundamental problem with all three of these things is just that they're getting so expensive and their their costs keep rising so fast relative to everything else but like the nature of how americans feel the pinch from each of these things is very different right because for college education we have such a huge supply of loans to you know to pay for tuition to pay for our expenses in college and it's like it's such a no-brainer like you have to study something if you want to you know have whatever x kind of income or x kind of social uh capital so people are going into it and they're just so burdened with debt afterwards right Mm -hmm. so that's to a great extent we still have a lot of people getting into college and getting degrees it's the the afterwards cost that's such a burden on them and then when we look at housing it's more that people are finding it more difficult to get the thing. That's a big part of it, right? We have rising homelessness. We have, you know, more people kind of crowding into smaller housing to make ends meet. And then we also have people who want to own homes and are not able to get credit to purchase a home, right? A lot of people are saying, you know, I'm, I'm paying 1600 bucks a month in rent and I can't get approved for a $1,200 mortgage. Make it make sense, right? So right. That, that's a different experience of, of the cost. And then for healthcare, people are just avoiding getting healthcare until they feel they really need it. And then you don't even know the cost until after you've already had the thing done. And then that creates all this disruption because people are like, I thought I was just going in for a checkup and it ended up being thousands of dollars and I don't have thousands of dollars and now I have medical debt. And, you know, and so the problem is price for all three fundamentally. But the way that we actually experience those prices is really different between the three of them. So that'll be a fun thing to fun thing to explore in the individual episodes going forward. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I think it's important. And hopefully, we can suss out a few positive ideas and attitudes that we can have that look at some real world issues and some real world solutions, or at least angles at which we can attack problems, so we can be better informed citizens that's what i'm looking forward to all right well i'm really excited to dive into some topics where we can get kind of nerdy and wonky about it we can talk about oh i read this paper or oh you know in in uh the 1970s uh portugal did this thing and here's how it turned out you know i'm really looking forward to doing that and and getting into the weeds on something because again we went to grad school so y'all don't have to (laughs) don't yeah just hug your children if you hug them more they won't do what we did we promise you know we we have a problem we we just keep reading these papers and we can't stop (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh, yeah, I think right. they've had enough. I think they've. Been, I think yeah. we've inflicted it. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, then uh, be on the lookout in the coming weeks for our uh, individual episodes on each of the three mountains: housing, education, and healthcare. Tune in next week. Thank you.